Before we get started today, I'd like to talk about our new Banya Coffee memberships. Now, you can offer one to five coffees to our staff every month, and that gets you exclusive benefits like special newsletters, behind the scenes content, the ability to ask questions directly to us, as well as a special shout out here on our podcast. And today, I want to thank our first members on Buy Me A Coffee, Anderson Da Silva, Kat Kramer, Fra and Peter Suffering. Thank you all. You too should join them and support independent journalism. Head to Buy Me A Coffee and subscribe, and starting next week, you can hear your name on Explaining Brazil. And if you can't support us on a monthly basis, you can still tip us a coffee to give us the energy that we need to cover a country as complex as Brazil. Head to buymeacoffee.com slash Brazilian report to find out more. While many in the US have moved on to more immediate issues, the January 6, 2021 Capitol riots in Washington DC are still very present in the minds of Brazilian politicians, pundits and people. On that day, a couple of thousand Donald Trump supporters stormed the Capitol building in an attempt to overturn the former president's election loss two months before. This tip of the spear has entered the Capitol building. The ensuing clashes resulted in a handful of deaths and hundreds of injuries. It didn't affect the outcome of the election, with Joe Biden being sworn in two weeks later. The fear in Brazil is that far-right President Jair Bolsonaro could seek to emulate the capital riots, were he to lose the election in October. And the Brazilian report has shown that such concerns are not merely paranoia. In the aftermath of the riot, a coordinated pro-Bolsonaro effort saw prominent allies and massive social media groups espousing the protests and calling for a similar movement to be held in Brazil. Since then, President Bolsonaro has consistently sought to discredit Brazil's electoral system, laying the groundwork to ignore the outcome in October and potentially try to hold on to power. As a damning indictment of Brazil's democracy, the debates in the country are less about who will win October's election and more about what Jair Bolsonaro might do if he loses. My name is Ewan Marshall, editor of the Brazilian Report and standing in for editor-in-chief Gustavo Ribeiro, and this is Explaining Brazil. There is much doubt about exactly how far President Bolsonaro would go to remain in office. Is a coup attempt a possibility, and if so, would he have enough support to pull it off? A group of researchers from the US-based Washington Brazil office believe the threat of democratic rupture is very real. This week, they sent a 25-page report to the US government warning them of the risks of a coup in Brazil, citing four main points that international observers should pay attention to in the country. President Bolsonaro's constant attacks on democratic institutions in his attempt to discredit the voting system, the corrosion of environmental legislation and its impacts on the global climate, the rise of poverty and hunger in Brazil, and finally the weakening of social movements. Now to explore these questions and delve into the dossier itself, today we're speaking to David Nemer, a researcher at the Department of Media Studies of the University of Virginia and a faculty associate at Harvard University's Berkman Klein Center and Princeton University's Brazil Lab. And he's also a member of the Washington Brazil Lab and helped produce the dossier forwarded to the US government this week. 
David, first of all, if you could just tell us a bit more about the report, you know, how this came about and how you arrived at the four focal points and the conclusion. So the report was put together by uh, a number of academics who are part of the Washington Brazil office, uh, which is a think tank based in Washington, D.C., oriented towards writing about and researching about the current issues in Brazil and bring that sort of awareness to American politicians so something can be done about these issues. So it goes from uh, issues related to the Amazon, to the deforestation of the Amazon, to threats of our own democracy, such as um, the attacks on the electoral system. And is this only going to the U.S. government, or you know, are there other countries or organizations you'll be approaching? This is directly uh, intended to the American um, government, but the reports are open. They're published on the website. Anyone can have access to it. But this is specifically about this relationship between Brazil and the U.S. So I think the main takeaway from the dossier is that your researchers believe that there will be a credible risk to Brazilian democracy as a result of October's vote, something potentially worse than anything we've seen since the end of the dictatorship. And so, you know, with that in mind, do you see Brazil's institutions as being robust enough to block some form of coup or power grab? Well, we still have some open wounds since the dictatorship in Brazil. Uh, We have a Supreme Court that is still not quite as stable or brave to confront, you know, the government. Um, We keep hearing attacks back and forth from the Supreme Court to the government, from the government to the Supreme Court. Of course, the Supreme Court here is on the right side because it's sticking to the rule of law, um, sticking to... um, Know the electoral process while the government is uh, pretty much breaking every bureaucratic um, ways of dealing with these things. And of course, people are expecting the Supreme Court to be more energetic and to act more firmly. But of course, uh, we sense that there is some sort of a um, stepping on eggshells when dealing with the government. I don't know. We don't know if this is something that they still fear regarding the the, the military, since the military is still with the government. Um, we don't know. But at the same time, um, the Supreme Court is counting on the fact that everything is going to go according to plan. Um, I want to be hopeful and optimistic like that. Uh, I just don't know, given everything that I'm an- analyzing in my own research project, but this is where the fear lies, at least for me. Scott Hamilton, a former U.S. diplomat, he wrote in Brazilian newspaper O Global last week that the U.S. should be making it clear to Bolsonaro that any attempt to undermine the election would be met with sanctions. So, I mean, why do you think the U.S. hasn't done that? Yes, um, unfortunately, Brazil is no longer one of the main um, preoccupations of the of the U.S., you know, uh, Unfortunately, Bolsonaro has deteriorated the country so much that its relevancy in the international um, community has gone down. So the U.S. has uh, other things to worry about, um, such as, you know, whatever is going on in Ukraine and with Russia, China, Europe, the U.K. And as a Brazilian, it, it really hurts me to say that Brazil is not relevant right now to the American government. Of course, they worry about it, uh, about the country. They, they want to make sure that things go according to the democratic plans. 
But unfortunately, uh, Brazil was far from being a priority um, over here. At least this is my read of, you know, um, given the, the current geopolitical situation. And so if there were to be some sort of power grab, do you think we'd see any sort of concerted international pressure on Bolsonaro in Brazil? Or is the country not really important enough globally? I, I think so. I think that will be sanctions and repercussion to the Brazilian government. Um, of course, although it's not a, like Brazil is not a priority to many other countries in the West or the global North, but yet... Uh, that doesn't mean that these countries are not concerned about what is going on in Brazil. I think they are. I think everybody's paying attention to what's going on. Uh, and I'm sure that things will be put in place in case Bolsonaro will move forward with his plan to sponsor a coup. Um, it's harder to guess which would be these measures, but I'm pretty sure you would. So circling back to your own research, uh, you've been keeping up with Bolsonarista groups on social media and messaging apps for some time And we've all seen how they've been able to dominate the discourse online. And we also know that much of that is related to inauthentic activity and bots. But what I'm asking is, how does the president's online support translate into real people on the streets? Would he have enough devoted followers to back him during a power grab? This is something that we usually see, uh, we say uh, on social media, that uh, fake accounts or robots don't go out the streets or vote for Bolsonaro, right? This is something that we just saw uh, yesterday during the uh, May Day celebrations. Uh, he summoned some of his base, some of his supporters to go out in the streets to protest uh, in his favor, which is really weird. Like, it's, it's, it's weird to hear about people asking you to protest in favor of something, especially a government. But anyways, it was, it was a big flop. Uh, very few people showed up, which really shows... Uh, the kind of support he's having. And this is no surprise because according to the polls, his support has been around um, 25 to 30%, which means that these are the people who approve of his government. And these are the ones who uh, have said that will vote for him again for his reelection. So of course, uh, he's been able to gain social media popularity. He has been able to play the algorithm, uh, you know, with bots and, and, you know, posting content that he knows will go viral, like things that will cause some sort of negative commotion, like fear and anger. These are things that go viral on social media. It's known. He's following Steve Bannon's um, playbook. But that's all he's getting. That's the attention he's getting. Not to mention that those who are on the opposite side tend to engage with his content more because it's either criticizing or, you know, deconstructing whatever he's saying than it seems like he's getting a lot of attention, but that sort of attention cannot be translated to vote in the ballot box. That's a different thing. So I don't think that his, uh, so whatever we saw yesterday in May, in May Day, it's exactly the kind of support that he's currently having. Um, you know, these people who go out and, and, and support him. However, we have the what we call the, the, the shaming vote that people who still vote for him, but are ashamed to say that you will vote, they will vote for him. But I don't expect that, you know, shaming vote being anything more than, you know, 5% or 10% of whatever the polls are showing. So, 
support is not there for him right now. And he knows it. That's why he's been even more uh, radical and more uh, extreme in the things that he's been saying. I'm picking up on something you mentioned there about Bolsonaro's strategy online and how people respond to it. I'd like to hear what you have to say on this as a media researcher, because Bolsonaro and his supporters, they've sought to muddy the discourse with you know, declarations and actions that shock and push constitutional boundaries. So my first question would be, how effective is this strategy? And then what about the way the people and democratic actors respond to it? You know, should he be entertained? Should he be ignored? Yes, uh, it's, it's always that dilemma, right? Should we pay attention to the things that he's saying and give, give it a, a, a more of a center stage? you know, more of an amplifier or just let it go and not really um, try to engage with the things that he's been saying. Uh, well, two things here. One, he's a president, right? So it's it's hard for you to not engage with things that he's saying. He's just not, because he's not one of those John Doe's in the street trying to get some sort of fame to eventually rise up in the, in the um, popular knowledge to eventually, you know, gain some sort of a, uh, election. That's not it. It's different. Uh, we had the chance to silence him, meaning that we shouldn't be engaging with him back in 2018 when he was just a no one, just a clown running and trying to run for president. Now he's the president. Yes, we do have to pay attention to the things that he's saying because, one, uh, there are immediate consequences, right? He's a president, uh, like from um, compromising the stock market to uh, affecting you know prices of people's uh, people's everyday life and and you know the the market prices of of food that they are buying. So all these things impact. Um, and of course, we need to stay uh, aware of what he's planning to do. Um, so again, I I'm more of the opinion that now we have to pay attention. We need to not only engage but also deconstruct the things that he's saying. Because it's not just amplifying what he's saying, but engaging critically with what he's saying. It's a different thing. Um, so I think that that's why I think we should still engage in, 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 you know, if he's lying, then we should outright say that it's a lie. It's, you know, misinformation, disinformation. Not just saying that, oh, the president's claiming this, is claiming that, and then making him a favor of amplifying this this message. And on the topic of misinformation or you know disinformation in this case, we saw the Bolsonarista campaign massively use WhatsApp Messenger and social media to its advantage in 2018. But now the media focus seems to be on Telegram, depicting it as this underground network where disinformation can't be curtailed and all of these Bolsonaro groups are all active there. So again, two questions here. One, how do you rate the anti-disinformation efforts of leading social media platforms so far? And two, what should we expect from this campaign? Is it going to be Telegram? Is that going to be the name of the game? Yes, uh, we tend to focus on the new thing as if the new thing is going to be the, the most impactful. And the new thing now is Telegram. Uh, although Telegram has its own affordances, its own ways of impacting uh, and spreading misinformation, um, WhatsApp is still the number one social media platform in the country. You know, 96% of all smartphones in the country um, have WhatsApp as their main means of communication. Um, so yes, uh, Telegram ads 
another layer to, to this ecosystem. But at the same time, WhatsApp is still the number one uh, messaging app in the country, which is more likely to, to do any sort of impactful damage if it was to be, if there were any sort of uh, damages. It's also important to mention that Facebook is still pretty good, pretty big in Brazil, right? Especially among um, middle-aged folks. And those are likely to vote for Bolsonaro, right? According to the um, polls and the breakdowns, according to age, they are likely to vote for Bolsonaro. Um, so in order to tackle misinformation, we require you know, a multifaceted approach that will have to include several uh, platforms. And this is exactly what the uh, Electoral Supreme Court is doing. Um, they wrote this document. It's like an agreement that they asked every major big tech to sign as a compromise to fight misinformation, not only in general, but specifically during the electoral uh, period, which will start very soon since we, we have um, a general election this year in October. Um, and no, and, and the ways that these big techs have said that they will fight misinformation, it's, it's not very promising because one, misinformation is part of their financial business model, right? The, you know, the more they keep people on, their, on the screen using their apps, that's how they're able to monetize and bring more ads onto their platforms and make more money. So they truly have to find a way, an, an equilibrium, so a, a balance to understand to which point more misinformation can be hurtful for the platform or, you know, should we put democracy um, in our highest priority and then later we can decide what to do? Of course, as a user and a scholar and a researcher, I want democracy to be put in the highest priority, but this is not what they, what they have in mind. Um, recently, we've seen um, a, a big controversy with WhatsApp with their new feature, which was the, the communities, which is basically a group of groups. Um, and we don't right now we don't know if it was because of an agreement between the electoral court and WhatsApp that they postponed the release of that feature. Um, Bolsonaro did not like the you know having that feature postponed, which makes it really clear that one WhatsApp knows that that feature will uh, spread will help spread misinformation, and second uh, Bolsonaro wants mis misinformation to be spread. So it's a, it's a it's a, a clear declaration of where each actor stands on their on their beliefs. Um, so even though WhatsApp may postpone that, it still has potential to spread misinformation. And remember, um, the the most misinformation about the elections in the U.S. happened after the election took place. This is why we had the we had the insurgency and the Capitol Hill uh, in January. So, although the the um, groups of groups may start right after the election, that doesn't mean that things will stop there or the dangers, uh, you know, are completely gone. So, you know, these these apps have to think about what are their roles in 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 the current state of our own society. What what kinds of capacities? What kind of of um, things are they allowing these people to do? 
So this is something that they need to think about because they're not just an app for entertainment. Now it's, you know, everyday life, it's serious life and it has important um, consequences in everybody's lives. And David, one more thing before we let you go. Uh, your latest book, The Technology of the Oppressed, it explores how traditionally oppressed communities have used the internet to seek empowerment. Do you think that the rise of Bolsonarismo is also an example of this? Because, you know, this is fringe right-wingers who previously felt invisible using the internet to become empowered. Does that fit your thesis? And also for this election, is Bolsonaro still going to be going after that same demographic? Yes, uh... The uses of these apps were really propelled by this idea that Brazil, the, that Brazilians could finally organize themselves. So it started in 2013 when we had the June Journeys, which are completely different movements. Uh, people like to make a link between Bolsonarism, the rise of Bolsonaro in 2013. I basically say it's it's a flawed comparison. In, in my book, I explained uh, exactly what happened in 2013 and then later in 2015 and so on. But it was in 2013 that we started to use social media as a catalyzer and uh, uh, a space to organize for social movements. Um, the goals in 2013 are completely different from those that we see right now. But, you know, that's basically when it all started, especially in modern times. Uh, in 2014 and 15, we saw a rise of misinformation, but still using those apps and social media to promote um, social gatherings. So it was in 2016 when we had the largest uh, public demonstration in the country. Unfortunately, it was to support, you know, the the impeachment of Dilma, uh, you know, in, 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 in all these uh, acts against Dilma. But yes, it's still because of these, these apps that allow these people to connect and allow people to uh, play with their emotions through misinformation. Um, the same thing is still happening right now. Um, social media and, or these messaging apps are still very powerful in getting people who, who face the same kind of trouble to connect. And by connecting through struggle, by connecting through difficulties, they feel empowered to organize themselves and go out and, and um, you know demand a better country, let's say. Of course, they are in the right to demand for you know, a better country, as they did, um, which they they thought it was enough to justify voting for Bolsonaro. But four years later, you know, reality is knocking on everybody's door, which means that, yes, we may have all this misinformation on our phones, but when we look in our table, we're already missing all kinds of foods, right? Unfortunately, the rise of of hunger in Brazil is going up like crazy. We've never had this uh, amount of people facing hunger. Um, all kinds of comparisons between things that you could buy with 100 reais today and compared to four years ago, it's very stark. It's it's ridiculous, the, the differences. So there is still... Um, Portions of, of people from the, the popular classes of the lower classes supporting Bolsonaro, that's that's undeniable. But that support has decreased, especially because uh, one of the, unfortunately, the, one of the most efficient ways of fighting misinformation is your everyday reality. You know, when you walk out of your house and you see that you can't really 
enjoy the, the country that you're being sold on these apps, then you start contrasting and start questioning yourself whether or not you know you should still believe in the system that they're trying to, sh- to prove that exists, but in fact, it's not coming to you. This is kind of what happened um, with the rise of Bolsonaro. Um, you know, the Workers' Party provided uh, all kinds of uh, social programs to the poor, but unfortunately, Brazil was hit with a huge crisis, and the you know the government was no longer able to provide you know these these social um, services to to the poor. And of course, the poor felt betrayed, you know, because once again, they are the ones who uh, have to face the cuts when there is a crisis. Whereas, you know, those uh, that are in the upper classes, they're still enjoying, you know, a a very uh, indifferent lifestyle. Nothing really changed for those in the uh, upper classes. So this is why Bolsonaro tried to play this anti-establishment uh, anti-system person because he, he he promised to bring those people who were failed by the previous government into empowerment. You know, you, you can't judge these people for falling for that, which is true. Like they, they, they survived a, a system for so long and the system kept failing them. So why not try something else? They did. But once again, the system failed them which is not surprising, but it did. So these people who once believed that, you know, an anti-establishment person could possibly help them, now they're seeing that it's just one of them. So, of course, um, they will try to go for something that feels safer. And they know that, for example, Lula, during Lula times, they had a better quality of life. And I think this is why we're seeing this shift towards... um, having Lula as the, the people's the people's person as a way to bring back some of the social services and, and bring some sort of empowerment to those who have been neglected throughout um, history in Brazil. So I think this is why right now reality is showing to these people that you know, Bolsonaro will no longer be there for him for them. Thanks David. That was fascinating. Hope to have you on the show again soon. David Nehmer is a researcher at the Department of Media Studies of the University of Virginia and a faculty associate at Harvard University's Berkman Klein Center and Princeton University's Brazil Lab. Make sure to check out his latest book, The Technology of the Oppressed, Inequity and the Digital Mundane in Favelas of Brazil. We'll link to it in the show notes. And if you like Explaining Brazil, please drop us a five-star rating wherever you get your podcasts. It only takes you a second and it will help a lot more people find out about this show. Or you can sign up to The Brazilian Report, the journalistic engine behind this podcast. We offer a seven-day free trial, no strings attached, which gives you access to the site for a week without the need to insert any credit card details whatsoever. And all that's left to say is I'm Ewan Marshall, and thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.